Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company, brought to you by members of the Horror Writers Association Ontario chapter. I'm Andrew Robertson, one of your hosts for this podcast. Uh, and coming up next, we're doing introductions. We've got... I'm Bill Snyder, consumer of many cookies, writer of horror poetry, and host of After Rot, and all that other stuff. I'm Monica S. Kupler, managing editor of Rumorg Magazine and author of The Blood Magic Saga. I am Crystal Bork, author of the Book of Eve series, and you can find me at www.everythingstemporary.com. I'm Suffer Jerome, and I'm a horror writer. Uh, right now, I'm working on the Witch Upon a Star series, and also a space opera romance adventure novel. So, for this week's podcast, we're actually going to be talking about patronage. In the history of the arts, I'm sure we've all seen films or read books where someone refers to a patron of the arts. And arts patronage refers to the support that kings, popes, and the wealthy, historically, have provided to artists like musicians, painters, and writers. Now, historically that worked, and historically that was respected, but we're in a different economy now. We're in an economy where people work several jobs to make things work. Uh, we're in an economy where people ask their fans and supporters uh, for donations to, to help them create the, the worlds and the books that they're used to. So what we're going to start with is a discussion on grants, which I'm sure won't have a lot of legs because grants are notoriously hard to receive. So for our panel, does anyone have an opinion on grants? Has anyone applied for a grant? Has anyone received a grant or been turned down? Shall I start? Absolutely. Um, okay. Um, I have successfully received a couple of grants over the years, but they were very small. Um, the two grants I received were writer, they're called writer reserve grants, and what they are is they're given to Canadian publishers to dole out to people that these publishers see fit to get some money at some point. And uh, so um, in October was the recent one I received. Uh, a public um, it was fifteen hundred dollar grant for the Writers Reserve Fund, and uh, about three years ago, uh, and I got that one from Cheesing uh, Publications, and then about three years ago, I got a Writers Reserve grant for fifteen hundred dollars from Tightrope Books. Um, other than that, I have been completely unsuccessful in all my grant applications, and I go through years at a time where I refuse to apply for any more grants, because it takes, you know, it's like a day job, filling out these forms, writing, you know, you have to submit 40 to 60 of your very best words. It's difficult to be a genre writer because, uh, oh, actually, I, you may ask this later, but I'm just going to spit it out right now while... Uh, we're talking about this because this is a horror podcast and horror writers need to know that you can't get a grant for horror writing or if you can I don't know anyone who actually has um, except for my writers reserve the first one I got from typewrote books but it's because they knew me and they know I'm a horror writer the one I got from cheesing I uh, was interesting because uh, uh, Sandra Kistori uh, helped me because I, I asked Sandra, like, what's the magical secret to writing these damn grants? I, I can't get one to save my life. Well, I think that's something that everyone suffers with is, mm -hmm. is it seems like the same people are always getting grants. Because they know how to write a grant. 
Do or, they ever have books? Or out? they're very, very well known. Yeah. Because it seems like you. Margaret Atwood gets you. It, I, I, I wasn't going to invoke <laughs> the Atwood. <laughs> and I'm not going to argue that, that she shouldn't. Um, but, but I do think that it's a bane of a writer's existence to see that the same established writers are getting grants all the time. Yeah. Uh, the same people seem to have figured out the formula to get a grants all the time. Mm-hmm. So. Is it worthwhile for a horror or even speculative fiction or sci-fi writer to apply for the grants, or should they look into other avenues? Well, Sandra told me that the the and maybe I'm telling tales out of school and we're on the air and now the secret is spoiled. But I don't. Well, care. we'll know when the lawyers come. I cashed. Cash, yeah. I cashed. I cashed the check. So good luck with that. Um, so basically, I was trying to get a grant for a, a book I've been working on for a couple of years called We All Scream. And it's about a serial killing ice cream truck driver. <laughs> and uh, nice. and there's, I, there's I, actually, I actually would like to uh, <laughs> set the scene for our listeners right now. Because Sephra is standing in front of five framed pictures of ice cream in our recording studio. <laughs> With my Kylo Ren shirt on to melt them all. <laughs> um, so if, if any of our listeners are interested in a photo of that, it's going to be up on our Facebook. Um, anyway, so Sandra tried to navigate me through the thrilling world of turning a horror proposal into something that the Canadian government might want to sponsor. So, what, what, so the name of the book was changed to um oh i can't remember exactly but it's something like my sad secret life (laughs) and instead of it being about you know this woman who becomes an ice cream truck driving psychic serial killer ghost hunting person she just has to become an ice cream truck driver after she fell from grace and you know from her executive job and uh and everything sucks. And I took out all the horror. <laughs> and I got the grant. I was successful in my grant. So did that book come out? No, I ha- um, I'm still working on it. Well, they, well, they kind of took the guts out of it, didn't they? <laughs> well, the thing is, the book will be what it is. Um, when I you know, when I publish the book, it, it's going to be We All Scream. And that's what it's called. And I'll be thanking the Arts Council for the money. And Flesh Failure, if anyone's read Flesh Failure, my novella from Sam Hain, mm-hmm. that's the one that got the grant um, from Tightrope Books. Um, that one, we just sent it in as Frankenstein monster woman going through divorce, blah, you know, and we didn't tinker with that one. And we got that grant through. I think it was because it was Frankenstein. I've read that book and I liked it. <laughs> I liked the, the Frankenstein figure going through the divorce. It was ideal. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... So who gets grants? Not me, because I have applied for Canada Council, Ontario Arts Council, Toronto Arts Council. I see names, like you said, same names over and over sometimes. I is that, the, is that the issue, that the same people always get grants because people are writing grants proposals for them? Um, and, see, and writers should be looking for different avenues to engage or, or get investors for their work? I'm not sure if it's the same people getting the grants because there's those people or because it's what they're writing. Because they're uh, blind. Oh, I got a grant like once a very long time ago when I was working on my first poetry book, which has nothing to do with genre. It was like young women coming of age. And so, you know, you can once again sort of see the subject matter. That was a Toronto Arts Council grant. But you can once again see the sort of, 
you know, the subject matter that they seem to be throwing money at, uh, you know, with Sephra's uh, divorce story or woman down on her luck story, you know, there, it doesn't seem like Grant's bodies are looking for the fantastical. They're looking for, you know, more of, it seems like almost more everyday kind of strife type fiction. And I think maybe the authors that, you know, that is what their wheelhouse is. That's why their names keep coming up because, you know, that's what they write. So they have a great deal of success getting grants because the type of fiction they write is the type of fiction that aligns with the, you know, what the grants bodies want to give money to. So a lot of writers now are turning to crowdfunding. And for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with crowdfunding, um, this is the practice of funding a project or a venture by raising small amounts of money from a large number of people through the internet. Um, it's often very flexible. You know, you can give $20 and get a reward from the person who has initiated the crowdfunding venture. Um, and in some cases, the rewards are great. In some cases, they're not. Uh, so if we could just go around and discuss some of the sort of, like, successes or failures in crowdfunding that that we've all witnessed, because it's, it's really, it's a big reality in publishing now. There's people crowdfunding for magazines, for books, for anthologies. So what are some of the successes and failures you've seen or... Um, some of the advice that you have for people looking at these forums. Well, I think that guy who got millions of dollars for making the potato salad really hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> not not red paperclip. We're not starting there. We're starting with potato salad. I don't know the potato salad story. I know the red paperclip yeah. story. I don't know the paperclip story. So maybe, maybe a lot of listeners know about the potato salad story. Uh, so we can crucify them... Properly on Great Lakes Horror Company. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember the exact thing, but I just remember, like, wasn't it a year ago or something? Somebody just put on Kickstarter, he's making potato salad. Well, that's the thing, is that that people put anything up there. It blew up. Like, he made shitloads of money for this salad. I don't remember the details or anything. I just remember going, oh my god, like, what am I doing with my life? Alright, <laughs> so know? so let's, you know what, for the benefit of our <laughs> listeners, let's go through it. a couple of really fucked up <laughs> crowdfunding <laughs> episodes here. So, obviously Amanda Palmer is going to be mm-hmm. one of them. I mean, she went on Kickstarter looking for money to fund an album, way exceeded what she expected and ended up raising $1.2 million dollars. And then went online and told everyone it was a lost leader, which created a backlash that I'm not going to address in a very diplomatic way. <laughs> well, wasn't there something about how... I'll address it. No. Oh, well, um, all right. Go ahead. Not, I'm not really going to address it because I have seen her perform and I sort of know Neil. I, I, um, but... I like her. I, I like her. I love Dresden Dolls. I enjoy what she's done and I understand what she did to get to where she needed to be. Um, but I think that people get lost at the point that she raised over a million dollars and then also requested local musicians to volunteer to perform with her. Yeah, it's I think that that became yes. And then and then asked people if she could crash on their couches, etc. And I understand. I know a lot of musicians that were with major labels that 
that need that type of support when they come to town. And you get it. It's a different economy. It's the exact same as a writer's economy. We don't expect to make a living from publishing books. Because it just doesn't happen like that until you hit a certain level. You hope to. It's your ambition. But it's the same with musicians, authors, artists. We understand. But when you raise $1.2 million, maybe you should assign... That's U.S. too, isn't it? Yeah. Or was it British pounds? For us, that's like $9 billion. We can buy Casa Loma, man. Well, at least someone can. I mean, the, the yeah. person who built Casa Loma, for, for our listeners, Casa Loma is a castle built in Toronto that the original person that built it um, sort of fucked off on. But you can, you can look that up online. You can figure that out. So Amanda Palmer is on Patreon. I don't know if you know oh, that. Oh, we, we were going to get to that. <laughs> okay, uh, continue ta- with your first <laughs> So So first question is crowdfunding. Have any of you done it? What are the advantages? What are the opportunities and challenges? And how do you feel about it? I've never done it myself. I don't think I'm at the point where I have enough pull to, you know, make make the goal or whatever it is. Um, but I have supported a bunch of people on it. Um, and usually it's things that I really enjoy and really like. And I want to support these people because I want to see their end uh, product. I personally like crowdfunding if it's done well and the person is able to handle the result um, and deliver what they promise because I've also heard a lot of issues with delivering, you know, swag and product and whatever it is that you're you're giving money towards. Um, but I think overall it's a really great tool to kind of achieve what you want. And I mean, as an author, it'd be great to say, hey, you know, give me a donation. It gets you a book, and then it you know pays my rent for a couple of months so that I can write that book. Um, so I think I'll try it eventually, like, you know, see how it evolves. Um, I, I know a lot of people feel like it's asking their friends for money, but I kind of don't see it that way. Well, I mean, you, you can say the same thing about putting a book out there and trying to promote it. I mean, it's, it's in a store, so no one has to buy it. That, but you're right. asking people to. Yeah, and if... I feel like if they're really interested in your work and what, you know, I don't have the expectation that all my friends are going to read my book because they may not be into what I write and that's fine. I'm okay with that. So I'm putting something out there that a stranger that I have not met before looks up my work and says, okay, hey, this looks really cool. Um, I like her writing and I'm going to, you know, donate to this cause. So I'm, you know, in complete agreement and I think authors have to be their own marketer as well now these days so kickstarting is kind of a way to to do that as well that's actually an interesting lead-in to my next question which is how are you marketing yourself how do you get people interested in you because obviously you know if if you're self-publishing or you're working on a kickstarter um moreover than a patreon which we're going to talk about in a second uh, what do you offer people to get them interested? Because we all have friends and family where we say, okay, my book's out, um, you need to buy it. <laughs> and eventually you run out of people. But if you're doing crowdfunding, 
more often than not, you're offering some sort of reward or perk for people to buy in. So what are some of the perks or rewards that you've seen that are effective or what ways do you get people to buy into what you're doing? Um, hmm. This is open to yeah. <laughs> and And I'm, I'm just thinking about what I've seen where you've got people that say, all right, so my Kickstarter, if you give me $5 towards it, I'll give you a chapter of my book. Right. I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, not having actually ever participated in one, I am seeing more and more in the comic book industry where it's being used quite a bit. Uh, some of the advantages, some of the perks that they put in is exclusive artwork, exclusive different components that wouldn't be in the book proper. So when you get that book off the shelf, you buy it at a store, that's that. But these other things are the extra perks that they are putting in for the other different levels as you go in. Stuff that you won't get in that book. How do the people providing that protect that property? Like they say, you're going to get this exclusively. How am I guaranteed that I'm getting that as an, an exclusive as opposed to being able to just share it because it's all digital? Physical product Physical is product. what I'm seeing more and more in the comic book side of things and in some of the other books where they do exclusive versions of the book, which it's a physical hard copy version with certain tip-in pages and certain other things going on as well. But it's very physical. It's not a digital component. Now, recently I came across a new version of Salem's Lot, which I've mentioned, I think, <laughs> probably six times on this podcast. And I think we have 15 episodes. Obviously, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Obviously, I have a problem. I know. And I know that I also mentioned on one of the podcasts that I wasn't the hugest Stephen King fan. <laughs> Stephen who? But yeah. yeah, this guy, he writes so many books, but there's this one that I really, really like. Is that the way that we're moving? Where Whether we're self-published or traditionally published, that we need to have a special edition um to engage our fans and I, I actually want to put that question to Monica specifically because I know that you engage with fans very regularly online in fact even just this week um, one of your fans adopted the name of one of your characters um, do you feel compelled to offer them a, a very specific tailored experience in uh, not necessarily uh, crowdfunding or anything, but when you interact, is is there more value to that for you? Um, well, I think whenever you interact with people who enjoy your work, like if you can all think back to when you were younger and just starting out, it was a real thrill to, you know, back in the days, most of us were starting out back in the days before the internet and before computers. So, you know, you'd write a letter to an author or an actor or whatever that you liked, and it was a real thrill to get some sort of response. And I don't think, you know, uh, that thrill has necessarily changed because of the, you know, electronic medium. So, you know, I, I try to interact with my fans and I try to, you know, not interact with them in a really throwaway kind of way. I try to interact with, in, with them in some way that will be meaningful to them. But also, I put a lot, like the Blood Magic Saga is out there for free on the internet. And that was a very, a very, a decision I made very consciously. 
But as the as those books become physical books, the physical books are a different edit than what is on the serial versions on the internet. So when those fans eventually, you know, if they like the book enough to pick up the, you know, the actual physical book, they're not going to be reading exactly the same thing they read in the serial version. They're going to be reading a more polished version, a version that's gone through several editors and has, you know, extra character development or scenes that are slightly different based on, you know, the notes that I've received from, you know, those editors who were are above and beyond my original serial editor. So, you know, I think that in this day and age, you can't necessarily put something out there for free and then say, hey, you guys should also pay for it without changing it up any. But I think there is a model for, you know, getting yourself known on the internet, putting some work out there, you know, attracting a bit of a fan base, and then offering them something physical that they can then get, or they can get an autographed copy of if they enjoy your work. And, you know, it all sort of ties in, you know, yes, we have to do our own marketing these days. Yes, we have to communicate with our fan base because that's part of marketing. And, you know, everyone, all authors are expected to have a Facebook, to have a Twitter, and to not, you know, be closed off when readers reach out to them. And, you know, it's about generating goodwill and making those people, you know, want to be part of your, the universe of your books and the universe of your writing. That's actually... What she said. Very, very interesting, especially in the context of our last show, which which was about um, engaging with fans, diversifying, uh, finding ways to, to contact your audience, um, even when you're in competition between a day job and being a regular writer and, and working on a fan base. Uh, so for the next question, I want to talk about Patreon. Because Patreon is something that we're seeing increasingly in the publishing world. Um, just this week, uh, Crystal Lake Publishing has actually uh, reached out on Patreon to look for support in order to grow a successful publishing house. Um, so first, I'd like to get everyone's thoughts on Patreon as a platform. Starting with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just for our listeners, I'm, I'm pointing <laughs> until someone raises their hand, and we're gonna start with Zach. I'll start with, I don't really know or understand the model that Patreon uses. I, my God, it a lot. Thank you for being the first to. I will admit it fully and completely. I don't know how it works. I have heard a number of my friends talk about it, talk about how they're trying to make money on it, but I don't know how it works. I like the Patreon, I'll be honest, I like the Patreon model better than I like the crowdfunding Kickstarter model. And the reason I like the Patreon model better is because I feel, personally, I feel really weird asking people to pay my rent so I can write a book. That's That seems wrong to me, the way I was raised, etc., etc. Um, but on Patreon, you can you can say, okay, you know... I would like to raise money to write a book and you support each chapter that I give you. So, you know, it's not saying, hey, pay my rent. It's saying, hey, you decide how much you want to donate, you know, to read a chapter of my book. So I'm giving you some art. Can I jump in here just for our listeners that aren't sure? Zach says no, but I'm going to anyways. (laughs) Um, Just for our listeners know. At, at the top of the show, we spoke about patrons of the art. Historically, there were kings, queens, and rich people that would find an artist that they adored, and they would support that person. 
And I think it's really important at this point in the show to to just inject that Patreon is very much in the spirit of of that historical um, type of support for artists. Because throughout the ages, there have been artists, no matter how successful or incredible they've been, that have really relied on uh, the permissions and, and wealth of others in order to create their works of art. Um, so that's, that's a strange thing about Patreon, is that people have different views about it, but it really is about giving money to an artist that monthly will create something that comes back to you. So I'm going to give it back to Monica now, but I just wanted to position that a little bit in case anybody was unfamiliar with what Patreon is is actually about. But I like that model because, you know, I think it's it's much like an ebook transaction. You know, they want to read your ebook, they pay for your ebook, and, you know, they've given you money, they get a book. Um, whereas in Patreon, you give them a chapter or an audio recording or a comic or whatever your Patreon is. So they're not kind of throwing money into the ether. They're actually purchasing a product from you, even if it is a product that's a work in progress. And for me personally, that feels okay because it's a transaction and both people are getting something out of it as opposed to someone screaming from the uh, mountaintops, you know, I don't want to work a part-time or full-time job to pay my rent. I think other people should pay my rent so I can sit and write a book, which feels a lot like entitlement to me. And I mean, you know, that might just that might just be because, you know, I'm kind of old now and, and uh, you know, I come from a family where, you know, that would be seen as a really, really bad thing to, you know, expect from people who don't know you. <laughs> so, Patreon. Crystal, what's your experience with that? Um, I don't have a lot of experience with Patreon, but I do... you have do, any friends that have been on? I don't. This is... I've, I've heard the word before, <laughs> um, but... Um, I kind of am intrigued by this, um, by the fact that it's kind of going back to sort of the old uh, patron system, because um, I have a music degree and I've always been obsessed with patrons because it's such a wonderful idea that these people with wealth would want to have the best musicians and the best artists in their homes, living there, mm-hmm. composing and creating art for them. Um, so I think that it's pretty fantastic that um there's now a platform where you can you you know you can do this as well because um you know those who have a sense of entitlement or it 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 kind of takes that factor away so it doesn't uh you're actually giving something to somebody as opposed to just asking for for money no it is it is a very interesting platform because we've gone through uh, several crowdfunding platforms since it became mm-hmm. something that people were interested in. Um, and, so, you know, someone is not raising a million dollars without fans. It's not... It, it's not for lack of interest. Um, so I think when Patreon came around, it was very much more tailored to your interest in an artist and and it started to challenge the idea 
of the contemporary art fan. You know, you if, if you really are a fan yeah. of a certain artist, instead of downloading their work, how about giving them a dollar every month? How about giving them two dollars every month? How about buying their work instead of downloading it and saying, well, I played it at a party or I recommended it to someone else. So for the next part of this discussion, I actually want to pull in one of our members who has an active Patreon right now, um, Sephora Giron, uh, author, tarot reader, sexy witch. <laughs> so Sephora, tell us why you started your Patreon and what you're hoping to accomplish with it. All right. Um, well, I, I first noticed Patreon, I think, last year or the year before. It was brand spanking new. It has evolved quite a bit over the last couple of years. Um, I just went to what they call a hangout on Friday, which is basically a meeting um, you can go to to find out like what, what the hell they're doing and what's going on. Um, and they keep um, they listen a lot to the people who participate in Patreon, and uh, things are changing all the time. So basically... The model I'm using is what we've been discussing, which is um, you can choose whatever you can choose to get your stuff funded either by project or on a monthly thing. You can decide. Uh, for me, I decided um, if you go onto my Patreon, you might see little remnants left over from when I tried to do it about a year ago when I was trying to raise money to go to Lizzie Borden House, to Salem, and to a bunch of places, and write about, um, and uh, the idea was to produce a book with photos based on, you know, ghost hunting in these creepy places, but I never got anywhere. I didn't get one single thing. I'm not very good at marketing, even though I have all these Twitters and things. So uh, um, just like two or three months, yeah, I think three months ago, I decided, okay, um, I'm going to give this another shot. And part of it was because um, those of you who see me on Instagram know I'm a big Star Wars nerd. And um, as, you know, after 40 years of <laughs> Star Warsing um, and writing fan fiction when I was a teenager, I thought I, I finally want to write a Star, Star Wars book. And so I started the long, arduous task of trying to figure out how to deal with Lucas and Disney and all this stuff. And I gave up. <laughs> and uh, I thought I'm just going to write my own thing and have some fun, get it out of my system. And, uh, I, you know, I'm having financial challenges, as most of us are. So I looked at a few people who I know on Patreon. And the problem with the Patreon platform right now, I've actually emailed them about this and discussed it with them, that you can't find anyone on Patreon unless you already know they're there. They're, you have to know who you're looking for. If you click on writers, you won't see me. There's like three things there, and there's, the last one was 2015. I don't, you know, I've, I'm, on, I'm on their case about that. But anyways, I'm on it under my real name. Um, and uh, I saw Amanda Palmer on there. She's got $38,000 for some project she's working on. Um, Caitlin um, Crarian. She's, she's doing by the project funding. She's doing by the so project. So for, for Patreon, you can either have people that subscribe that um, subscribe by the month, where you give something to them every month, or like Amanda Palmer, who apparently is the expert <laughs> social media funding, um, she's doing by the project. So if you if you give something to her project and she finishes it, then you get that. Yeah. 
and she she's very engaging so I'm kind of watching her I'm, I'm not funding her because I'm too poor to fund her but so I don't know what she does behind the curtain but she is very active publicly just to engage people who aren't even paying her and so I'm, I'm looking to her for you know tips on, on how to engage people so I, I saw Brian Keene had gone on it and uh, his podcast is on it several publishers are on it uh, Caitlin Kiernan is on it um, so I thought what the hell I'm going to get in on this party and so I so I I put up my thing and it's space opera romance adventure novel um, which is you know, I haven't named my book yet. And so what I'm doing it is I'm doing the give me a buck, you get a chapter. So I've, I've done it for two months now. I've written a chapter a month for my patrons. I have two so far. Thank you, guys. <laughs> and, um, and also, not only do I provide a chapter a month, and this is very rough chapters because I tend to re- write a lot but these aren't rewritten so it's scary to me to show these but you're, you're involving your fans in the process yes. which I think is, is very much the idea of Patreon yeah and so what so they get to see the whole process I've never shared with anyone I'm, te- I'm showing them how I pick names I take photos of the baby books I do and how I figure out how to choose a name that was a whole pile of stuff you know I take pictures of my crazy Star Wars characters holding up plot points and cue cards they see all my cause I do all my books on cue cards so they, they see my cue cards for each character and how I change the name from this to that um, you know what the religion's going to be I haven't you know I'm still working on my weapons and, and the name of the book the name of this and that and so they're going through this painful step-by-step process with me it's kind of it's scary and it's neat so I you know I have little videos little photos but the main thing is they get their chapter a month and uh and it's not it's not a pretty chapter there's like things in red like oh then they shoot a weapon here and it says weapon and I'm like I don't know what the hell that weapon is yet you know and and so on or if I have clunky phases I just put them in red and and like this is a first draft folks and and uh, it's been fun because it's motivating knowing these people want to see this. So it's, it's like a deadline. It's like, oh, my God, these people are paying me. For, you know, I better get my shit together and get this chapter done, you know. <laughs> and it better be good. It can't just be some, you know, crazy first draft that I do for myself. It has to, they have to be able to understand it. So it, it's an interesting sort of discipline. And uh, I'm really enjoying it. And I hope more people come on board. Um, you know, you see Brian King doing it. And he's got, like... I think 200 patrons or something and um yeah it's interesting so what do we need to do as a writing community to make sure that efforts like crowdfunding with kickstarter or patreon or people searching for grants how do we ensure that people don't cheapen the art form um Or lose value. I don't think there's anything you can do. I yeah. think I think that's <laughs> yeah. I think you know that's the natural progression of things is that there will be people who are using those platforms who are maybe not ready for prime time, but but in the end I think you know it'll sort itself out because if you're not delivering something that your patrons or you know your Kickstarter supporters or whatever like, then they're not going to continue to support you. True. Or, yeah. you know, they're not going to come back for your next project. So I, I think, you know, at some point, if you don't deliver on your promises, if you don't deliver an exciting, good product, you know, you might have that goodwill at the beginning, but that goodwill isn't going to continue until the end of time. Yeah, that's what's exciting and creepy about Patreon, because, 
you know, I just had one guy who I did not know. It's not a friend. He, he's a, he's my Facebook friend now, but I did not know this man. And he, he came on and he pledged 10 bucks. I'm like, holy shit, who's this? And why is he giving me money? You know, and then the first month well, you know, that's, happened. That's the difference between being an artist now and being an artist 300 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. suddenly you're realizing that there's people out there that will pay you a certain amount of money a month mm-hmm. to be the artist that they want you to be. So I, I think as the way- surprising as it can be for the the writer, the author, the artist, you, mm-hmm. um, it, it has a precedent in history. It's very interesting. Yeah, and then the thing about Patreon is they collect all the money at the last day of the month. So it's like, okay, it's the last day of the month. I wonder if dude's going to hang around. Because the thing is, they can pledge. The way it works is you pledge. Like, you pledge a dollar, you pledge a $1,000. You pledge whatever the hell you want, especially on my page. It's like, just do what you want. I'm doing what Brian does, which is get, you can start at a buck. Like, you get a chapter, whether it's a buck or ten bucks. I have no tears. It's You get what you get. So at the end of the month, the patrons all get charged on their charge cards. And they can choose to stay or go. So you roll okay. over to the first or second. And then it's like, in that first month, it was like, my dude disappeared and I nearly had a heart attack. I was like, what did I do? He hated my chapter. I went crying. <laughs> and I was like freaking out. So, you know, I'm melodramatic and I'm crying in my pillow. And then, then a few hours later, he was back. So I guess it was just a glitch in the system. And he's, he's still there. And so then the next month rolled around. You know, I did my chapter at the end of the month. And then... It's like, oh, I wonder if those people are going to stay. And then, boom, here we are in May, and they're still there. So I guess they liked the second chapter, too, because now they're waiting for the third. So it's kind of exciting and scary. Like, it's just weird. It's another whole thing. Because you don't know if you're going to get your paycheck, I guess, is what it is, until it's over, right? It's the way the structure is. It's interesting. I think it's good, though, because then as an artist or a writer, you know, it pushes you to... Yeah, because they can say, you know what, that chapter really sucked. I'm not paying you, and, yeah. and I'm going away now. And that's it, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the nice thing about giving someone something for, you know, you're not really being obnoxious about it. Like, this isn't about, this isn't about crowdfunding or about Patreon, but, you know, my, the Blood Magic Sog is available in its serial edition for free. On, it's, you know, on Wattpad, but it also has its own website. And on its own website, there's a little button at the side, and it says, you know, if you've enjoyed this book, consider making a donation. Mm -hmm. It helps us pay for our web hosting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't ever draw attention to that Mm -hmm. button. Mm -hmm. I don't sit on social media and scream about (laughs) that button. This one, hit this one. But, you know, know, if someone is there and they've enjoyed the book, it sits there on every page. It's just hanging out at the side. And you know what? It doesn't get clicked super often but you know occasionally someone will throw 25 bucks in the kitty or whatnot and you know it's like if you're putting your work out there it's not a bad thing to say hey if you enjoyed this support me much like you know you know hey if you like my work buy my ebook or buy my novel um i think the trick is with all of that stuff is to not be obnoxious about it yes (laughs) yeah but how do you know if you're being obnoxious? Because as someone who's obnoxious, well, I, I, I think it's it goes. They'll tell you, with, maybe. Yeah, generally they yeah. will. Sorry, Crystal, you were going to say <laughs> that is a good point. I'm just yeah. being obnoxious. It's okay. I'm just going to talk right over you. Well, no, I, I think it comes down to the point of feeling like uh, you're not getting value for what you paid for. So I think, um, and I think I mentioned it early with crowdfunding. You know, if you're going to offer things, you better give it to the people who've given you money. And sometimes they don't want anything, and that's fine. But if you're going to say one thing and do another, 
um, then you're going to get questions of, well, why did you make $1.2 million and where did that money go and yeah. why aren't you, you know. Um, and then it, I think people will, you know, if you're on Patreon and you have 10 people signed up and the next month you have two, perhaps you're doing something wrong. Especially um, if they're only paying a dollar. Exactly. <laughs> what did you do? Right. right. Really yeah. <laughs> so I think those those are it's some a pretty budget. Yeah. Pretty clear signs that uh, you should probably change your ways. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you to the entire panel for being here. You can find us online on Twitter at glhorrorpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at Great Lakes Horror Company. And uh, until next time, we make up horrors to help us cope with the real ones.